and thank you for listening to Okanagan Queer Story, a podcast about the queer history of the Okanagan and the people who have lived through it. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded and traditional territory of the Okanagan Sealed People. Throughout this podcast, we may refer to different spaces and places, sometimes by their colonial names, but we recognize and acknowledge that the land on which we are situated is Indigenous land. My name is Donna Langell and I am your host. Each week, I will talk with someone who identifies as 2SLGBTQIA+, and who lives or has lived in the Okanagan. Today, I am joined by Tasha Jarrett. Tasha is the founder of the Kelowna Rainbow Women Group, community engagement advisor for Rebellious Unicorns, copy editor for Kelowna.LGBT, and an author of LGBTQ romantic fiction. Hi, Tasha, and thank you for being the first guest on the Okanagan Queer Story podcast. Thank you for having me as the first guest on the Okanagan Queer Story podcast. <laughs> so Tasha is not only a prominent member of the queer community in Kelowna, but one of the founders of this podcast. I was hoping we could start our conversation by discussing our journey of how we got here. Let's start at the beginning. Last fall, you attended a unique exhibit at the UBC Okanagan Special Collections. Could you tell us about that and the idea that it inspired? Sure. Uh, Last fall, I went to see an exhibit called A Queer Century, 1869 to 1969, a rare books exhibit. It was a fascinating collection of books, flyers, leaflets, magazines, and other items that had been curated by two individuals, uh, Kyle Frackman and Gregory Mackey out of UBC Vancouver. Uh, I was so impressed by what was being shared that it started me thinking about how it would be like to curate a similar collection, but one that was native to the Okanagan. So we contacted a few key individuals in town here and started to collect some Pride Festival flyers, newspaper articles, and other items as a start for our own curated collection. So obviously, once COVID-19 restrictions had put in place, we realized that it wouldn't really be possible to organize a physical exhibit this year. So I think you would agree, Tasha, that we had to get a bit creative. We did. And, <laughs> and that's when we came up with a podcast. So I want to ask you, why do you think it's important to record people's stories of living as a queer person in the Okanagan? I think of the, the young people uh, growing up and studying here. Uh, what are we leaving them to study about the history of being queer in the Okanagan? Because as it stands, little to nothing uh, is available. And it's difficult to build a sense of community without history and a sense of belonging somewhere within it. So I think that's really important that we have these stories for these young people to look at and say, okay, yeah, there's other people that are like me or have similar experiences, uh, things like that. So you mentioned that there isn't that much currently on the history, um, the queer history of the Okanagan. How do you think people currently learn about that history? Are there any, in your opinion, are there any voices or perspectives that are perhaps more highlighted than others? Uh, I think right now it's all word of mouth. And unless you make an effort to speak to people who have been around the Okanagan for a while and push them to spill a little bit, you're not going to know anything. Yeah. there really isn't any recorded history at all. And that could be a little bit maybe anxiety inducing for someone who is younger, perhaps newer to the community? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would make it next near to impossible. Yeah. So what do you hope people will do with these podcast episodes? Or rather, how do you hope they'll be used? I know you mentioned um, studying, but could you elaborate on that a little bit more? Sure. Um, My hope is that they'll become part of the archives stored at UBCO, where people can gain access to them, write about them, submit papers about them, and spread the history around a little bit that way, especially if they lend their own experiences onto the end of their papers. It just keeps building them. In your experience, how has the queer community in the Okanagan changed over the years? It's changed a lot. It seems like the community has grown exponentially in the past few years. Every community event I've attended in the past year, I'm always meeting people that have just moved here, whether it's you know one month, three months, six months ago. Uh, there's just brand new people coming in all the time. So I think uh, the community is just, it's growing a lot. Yeah. That's what it seems to me as well, being one of those new people that just moved here. Yes. (laughs) Could you tell us about one of your fondest memories of living in the Okanagan as it relates to the queer community? Um, I've found that the community has been really welcoming. And I think that's been uh, a really good thing for me. Um, I've come to know some truly great and caring people. Of course, that is being my experience as a cis white person. Um, it's not like that for everyone, I suspect. Uh, I've always experienced, uh, you know, acceptance, but I've also experienced homophobia just trying to walk down the street holding my wife's hand or just walking around downtown with her. Um, so on one hand, the community has been really accepting the queer community itself, but on the other side of it, the rest of the community, not as much as what I'd like to see. Yeah, there's some work that needs to be done, I think. Definitely. And perhaps maybe this podcast will lend to that a little bit, or at least I hope, you know, an accessible way to hear people's stories, because I know that you and I have chatted in the past about the power of stories and hearing people's voices. And I think it's important to have that representation as well. Mm -hmm. Definitely is. And I think the more we tell our stories, maybe the more confident some of these young people will be to just be themselves and be more visible in public and then start to slowly change the perspective of the community at large. The sooner people realize we're everywhere and uh, we take on all walks of life and we own all the different businesses and there are your doctors and your lawyers and your, your hairdressers and just everybody out there, your grocers, everyone, I think uh, the more people start to realize that and that we're really not a threat, I think that's going to make a big difference. I, I want to come back to the memory question just a, just a little bit more and ask if, sure. there's, um, if there's any specific events or milestones that you remember in the time that you've lived here that have been important to you or significant to you. Uh, When we painted the rainbow crosswalk, that was a big deal. And there was a lot of public backlash because of that. Um, Wilbur Turner at the time, he went on radio and addressed one woman in particular that had an issue with us painting a rainbow crosswalk in town. So that, that was memorable because that was the first time that in the time I've been here anyway, that something's come about that's been that controversial. Um, At the same time as well, the mayor stepped forward in support of us and somebody called him a sugar plum fairy. 
And since then, of course, we've turned that around and we've had the Sugar Plum Ball every year since then, uh, raising funds for different charities. Uh, but that's the main thing that I can remember is all centered around that painting of the rainbow crosswalks downtown. Wow. And obviously, I mean, despite people's protests, it still happened because that crosswalk is still there today. Mm-hmm. It's going to be repainted very soon, hopefully in time for Pride in September. Oh, that would be great. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good example, too, of how, and with the sugar plum ball, about how something so magnificent has come out of it. Like at the end, mm-hmm. we have this beautiful crosswalk that only adds beauty and fun mm-hmm. to our community. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's unfortunate that during that time, the community was challenged so much on it. Mm-hmm. No, we were, we were lucky to have Wilbur around at the time. And so in addition to um, going on the radio, do you remember any other forms of trying to convince the community about trying to make it happen? Um, only the mayor's support. Um, that it was going to happen regardless of what anybody had to say about it. Uh, people had issue with the cost of the paint and the city came back and said that they had the paint in stock already for other projects. So that it wasn't going to cost anything. Uh, they seemed to be continually, you know, they had her back. Um, well, thank you for sharing that story. That's really interesting. You're very involved in the community. In fact, you were the first person that I talked to when I moved here, thanks to the presence of the Kelowna Rainbow Women Group on Facebook. I was wondering if we could turn the conversation to you and if you could please tell us a little bit more about your positions within the community. Well, I've been keeping busy, that's for sure. Um, Kelowna Rainbow Women, uh, that group, it was born of a need for everyone who identifies as a woman within the LGBTQ2 plus community here in Kelowna to have a space online and out in the community where they could form connections with other women. And uh, we wanted to build a community within a community. Um, it was something that a f- group of friends and I were having lunch and we were talking about the fact that there weren't a lot of events happening for women in Kelowna. And if, you know, something could be done about that. And then of course everybody turned and looked at me because I'm usually the one to spearhead things like this. Um, So we pulled it together from there and and decided to create this group. I've also been on the board of the Kelowna Pride Society uh, twice over the past 10 years, including recently. Um, Recently was a bit quiet, though, because there was no Pride Festivals this year. So I didn't actually do much (laughs) this time around. I'm wondering in the Kelowna Rainbow Women Group, Mm -hmm. what sort of activities do you do as a community? Um, There's a lot of online community building um, with just general things like conversation starters and just just different things to get people talking to each other. Um, Non-COVID times, we would have weekly coffee meetings, monthly trivia, um, other pub nights and and different uh, outdoor excursions like hiking and biking and kayaking and snowshoeing and you know, whatever anybody could uh, think up and be willing to host, especially, uh, we would take those on and and set something up. So prior to Kelowna Rainbow Women Group, were 
what sort of events would women go to in Kelowna? Uh, well, there was another group here um, in the Okanagan. Uh, they've been around for probably 25, 26, 27 years, Okanagan Rainbow Women. But we noticed that they weren't doing as much here in Kelowna. A lot of the stuff was happening out in Vernon and, and things like that. Uh, the stuff happening in Kelowna had fallen off. Um, but one of the things that they do is they have a yearly camp out, which is really fun. They do that in different places. Usually, I think it's at Kettle River. And um, they hold uh, bi-yearly or twice a year. Is that bi-yearly? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Twice a year, they hold uh, a women's dance, uh, usually one in Kelowna and one in Vernon. Uh, so that was a lot of the things that the women used to do before we started Kelowna Rainbow Women. And before that, you know, we're talking back 25 years ago, uh, the women would have a monthly potluck. And that was something that they would do out at uh, Sarsons typically. Wow, that sounds like so much fun. Mm-hmm. And so how would people find out about that? Would it be through social media? Oh, gosh. Or? No, there wasn't social media at the time. It was, it was basically a phone list where people would wow. phone each other or they would, when it evolved a little bit, then there was an email list. So things would go out by email. Um, so it was a lot more difficult back, back 25 years ago, getting everybody together. So if you were new to the community, say you were looking for, you know, these types of a community events, you just, it would have to be by word of mouth. Word of mouth. Wow. Yeah. You'd have to bump into somebody that you figured, Hey, (laughs) are you queer? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Were there any physical spaces within the community that you remember kind of being associated with queerness or, um, spaces that you felt uh, a sense of community in? Well, we did have a Pride Center for quite a number of years, um, right down on Water Street. Uh, and that was something that we used for, you know, coffee gatherings, women's dances occasionally, uh, you know, all eight, all sexes dances. Um, just get-togethers. We had, uh, when we first started the Etc. Youth Group, that's where we had those groups as well. I would get, you know, three or four kids wander in and we, with the enticement of pizza and a movie. Um, so it, it, we put it to good use, but unfortunately it's gone now. When did the, do you know how long the Pride Center was open for? Or, or No, why? I don't. No. And when, do you remember when it was shut down at all? Um, I'm thinking maybe seven years ago. Okay. Yeah, they wanted to tear the building down because they were going to be building a high rise there. Mm. And which since still then, isn't built. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, there's been no, um, no new Pride Center. No. No, the latest thing we have now is Friends of Dorothy's Lounge. That seems to be the gathering place at this point. Right. But not necessarily a place to invite teens to come and watch a movie. No, no, definitely not. No. <laughs> <laughs> 19 plus. So you, you were speaking about the beginning of um, the Etc. Youth Group. Were you involved in that in any way? Yeah. Um, 
Brad Terrian and I, he actually brought the idea back from a Pride conference. Um, I think it was in Ontario, possibly, uh, that another organization had this etc. youth group. So he brought that idea back to Kelowna and uh, spearheaded that whole organization. And like I said, we started off with just a few kids. We approached the Ministry for uh, Youth Mental Health, um, had a few meetings with them. They started walking kids down to it. It just and then it just grew from there, and now it's it's so thriving now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they received some funding recently. They did, yeah, ten thousand dollars. Wow. Yeah, That's great. Mm-hmm. So I'm sad to share the news that you'll be leaving the Okanagan and starting a new journey on Vancouver Island. That's right. Will you be staying involved in the queer community? Yes. In fact, I've already started a Victoria Rainbow Women group, which has uh, 44 members already after just a week. And I'm also going to continue working with Rebellious Unicorns uh, to serve the Okanagan Valley. So I'll be keeping my job doing that. And with them, my role with them um, is to engage the LGBTQ2 plus community all up and down the valley. And I offer them blogging opportunities and help them to promote their events, as well as sharing any relevant news via our website, Kelowna to LGBT. So I'll be continuing to do that for the Okanagan Valley from beautiful Victoria. Sounds so nice. (laughs) Well, that's good. It sounds like you're still going to be connected and uh, we definitely won't be hearing the last of you. No, definitely not. Nice. In your opinion, what does the queer future of the Okanagan look like? What do you hope the community will achieve or accomplish? Um, Well, I feel hopeful for the Okanagan's queer community. Uh, It feels like we're starting to band together and support one another. At least I hope so. Um, Before COVID shut everything down, Kelowna Pride Society had a meeting to bring on volunteers to form committees to address different areas in our community that needed support. And the turnout was unbelievable. It was so overwhelming. And I think uh, Kelowna really is ready to take this community to the next level. And I wish them every success in that. Wow, that's great to hear about the turnout. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's important for the Okanagan um, or Kelowna to have an archive of queer history? Um, I think, you know, going back to what I was saying before, I think it's important for, I I always focus on the young people. I really do. Uh, I think it's so important that they feel supported um, because quite often they don't get that at home. So I think as a community, we need to support them. And part of that is is making sure that they have access to history so that they can see that there's other people just like them who have had the same struggles or similar struggles that, uh, they can uh, look to and also to know that it does get better. So is there anything else that we didn't cover um, that you want to talk about? Any stories that you wanted to share? I want to thank Kelowna and their community for being so supportive of my efforts. Uh, And I'm going to miss seeing everyone's faces. Uh, But, you know, like we were saying, you'll still have to put up with me because my hand will still remain active in the Okanagan. But uh, definitely, I want to I want to thank everyone for supporting me. It's just been amazing the support I've received. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tasha. It's been a pleasure hearing your story. 
Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Okanagan Queer Story, uncovering the queer history of the Okanagan, one story at a time. Hosted and edited by Donna Langell. Produced by Donna Langell, Tasha Jarrett, and James Sieben. The theme song is Never Sleep by Ryan Anderson.